Opinions podcast. Uh, hopefully, I, rec- I I said that intro right. I'm I'm the man that United forgot. Rain. I'm using my hallway wrestling podcast nickname, but uh, you know I'm taking over, uh, and I am here to obviously moderate, which is a terrible idea. I don't know why I've been nominated as the the host for this, but uh, we're back. If you've listened to the all out review uh, preview and kind of AEW kind of roundtable, uh, you'll be very excited to to uh, listen to this. Uh, all out was has been considered by many to be one of the best pay-per-views uh, in the last, what, I don't know, there's been there's been a few kind of things thrown around, best since Romania uh, X7, mm-hmm. best in the last 10 years, uh, just anything and everything, and we're going to discuss and give our own opinions. I am, as I said, Rian, and I am joined today by, first of all, Sam Preston, who we're going to call Preston, you know, like a butler in like 1990s WWE, as I said on the last, on the last podcast, it's the first voice break in the intro. And I am also joined by Sammy, also known as Sam Carmichael. How are you guys doing? Very well, thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Uh, when we are done, you can let me retire, and I should go to bed. I think we'll be. I think we'll be just up in time to- uh, in time for uh, for all out. Uh, sorry for dynamite, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, which we might re- <laughs> we might reference throughout, but we might be done just in time for uh, dynamite, depending on uh, how many words Sam has written for his review. But uh, Sammy, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thanks. Yeah, by the way, just uh, kind of uh, uh, for context, we're starting this an hour later, all down to me and my shitty laptop, but uh, the energy is still real. Um, this, I don't know how to start this, but like, first of all, just general feelings about the pay-per-view. I think it exceeded all our expectations, but like, what was your kind of first feeling after like half four in the morning before you went to bed? Like, I, I, I just sat, it's one of the moments where I sat on my bed and smiled. It's very, there's a few times I do that, like after like a charity stream or like after something that I did in like a cut in the college radio. Just sit on your bed and smile, and you're like, "Yeah, that was good." Uh, what were your guys? Uh, what were your guys' feelings on it, Sammy? I'll go to you first. Uh, well, I was in town. I was in Glasgow at Walkabout to watch it live, and I had to get uh, a taxi home with my partner, and we were just like so excited and. The bad thing was my partner had work the next, like, later on that day at, like, 10 a.m. So we were just buzzing. And it was the first kind of pay-per-view that he's seen and really enjoyed. And it's the first one that I've seen that I've actually enjoyed all the way through. Because there's always, like, been pay-per-views before where some matches kind of lagged here or there. Uh, but this one was just, uh, it was great from start to finish. Like, all the matches... Uh, were really well done and the pacing of them was really well done in the placement so yeah. nothing 
nothing ever felt like it was too much or it slowed down too much. Um, so it just felt like overall it was really, really good. Yeah, it didn't feel like it. Like even though you're watching it late, it didn't feel like dragged. And that was a big point. I think they got the pacing spot on and a few like surprises that like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had that match that match order like that. But obviously, it worked out fantastically, and the show's why I'm not booking the show. And uh, Mr. Preston, um, after sitting up and all night and watching it, uh, did you feel just full of joy like everyone else? I felt like I was still on a high. Quite frankly, um, I if couldn't get to bed, could you? I, I couldn't. I didn't want to. I wanted to stay up celebrating. Literally, the only reason why I did was because of the fact. I was supposed to be starting work late um, later that morning. Thankfully, I didn't have to start until nine thirty. But I actually am working from home. But I actually woke up at nine twenty-seven in the morning, so I had three minutes to wake up and get to work, which thankfully was only downstairs in the kitchen. But quite frankly, it was completely worth it. It was one of those events that. Like, there's a lot of pay-per-views you can watch where you do start to feel the exhaustion and you can't even enjoy the second half at times. And it all depends on how well the pay-per-view itself is doing. This pay-per-view, quite frankly, smashed it so brilliantly that at the end of it, it left you wanting more. And that is a very rare quality um, of a pay-per-view that has it that you could watch another hour afterwards of excitement and that sort of thing. So for me, I sat at my, sat at the kitchen table, watching it on my laptop. I was a happy fucking camper all night and could barely tear my eyes from the screen. Yeah. Um, uh, every, everything, everything we said and more, um, it was just a really cool night. And to watch like just in a world where there's a lot of negativity to just watch Twitter, like a hundred percent positive for me was just, like watching the Twitter, my Twitter timeline certainly just light up with absolute joy was was perfect. But let's get straight into it. Let's have a few quick thoughts on the pre-show match. Now, I the first thing I'll, I'll prefix this by saying that I would rather this being on Dynamite and cutting uh, put putting maybe one match on the pre-show. Um, but obviously the pacing was very good, and like obviously the pay-per-view has gone over four hours, and it usually does. So that's maybe a little bit of a, a small thing. But needless to say. Um, this was really, really fun. I've heard the words PWG thrown around. Um, if if a casual was watching this match, in my opinion, uh, on YouTube, I, obviously the hardcore fans were buying it. Um, but if a casual was watching this, they would definitely consider buying the pay-per-view. Um, Orange, it was obviously Chuck Taylor, Orange Cassidy. Uh, let me go. Chuck, Chuck Taylor, best friends in Jurassic Express, is easier to say that, against the Hardy family office. And our Hattie family office consists of about 50 million people. But, yeah, guys, what were your thoughts on this? I just really enjoyed it. A lot of fun. A lot of, we got two great uh, songs in the... Uh, two great songs to catch people's eye. And then some great kind of fun wrestling with some really, really cool spots. Uh, I'll go to... Sorry, I need to... I forgot I'm hosting. I'll go to uh, Mr. Preston first. What do you think of this? Um, I actually thought this was the sort of match that um, accomplishes exactly what a pre-show match should do, which is Mm -hmm. one, it excites the crowd and audience watching at home in preparation for the upcoming pay-per-view, so it starts getting you hyped up. Um, Unfortunately, over the last couple of years, it's become very uh, expected that the pre-show is basically going to be whatever match has been thrown together at the last minute. And as much as I like... um, Robert Rude, Dolph Ziggler, and sometimes even Jack Swagger. Unfortunately, seeing them on a pre-show or people like that 
isn't going to do it for me. It's not going to make me want to get my hype up and that sort of thing. Whereas this one, you've got 10 superstars who have had ongoing storylines for the last couple of months and it combines together to create a really fun match and such a fun match that I do believe this is the sort of match that on a pre-show, it would actually make you want to buy the show because Mm -hmm. everything about it hints at what you're possibly going to have come up, which is going to have some good action, some great interplay between different uh, wrestlers. You're going to have some character work. You're going to have audience involvement. And then you're going to have a shock where someone appears out of nowhere that you weren't expecting, which in this case was the butcher. I have to admit, I am a massive fan of the butcher and the blade. I think they're quite underrated. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts about what the Hardy family office can do in the future. And I feel they'd be quite tantamount to it. But overall, I thought this was a good opening match that got the crowd psyched up, uh, really good interplay. And it just, it set the tone straight away, which I loved. Yeah, obviously we had the big kind of uh, big submission move, the kind of PWG stretch submission move. Uh, Luchasaurus clean house. I love Luchasaurus. I think he's a lot over than we realized. Um, as you said, we had storyline with at the end, we had uh, Orange Cassidy being threatened uh, to have his hair chopped off, which might lead to Harvard's hair. I thought it was going to cut off his pockets, but it was actually his hair. Obviously, we had the butcher who has one of the best, coolest walks in the business coming back. Um, and yeah, I think the blade desperately needs the butcher back, as you said. But uh, Sammy, of all these spots and a lot of fun, um, AEW calls their pre show the buy in, and they've had. Rio versus Serena Deeb, and then this match. Uh, I think they're doing pretty well at buying people into these pay-per-views. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because um, when we were sitting there watching it, I think it's different being in an environment where you've got a whole bunch of wrestling fans there uh, because mm. you can get into it a lot more than just being in the house on your own. Uh, so everyone in that in that bar were absolutely loving it and I was loving it as well it was just such a fun match and it was also like well performed as well it wasn't just you know like one of these crappy comedy matches where it's oh there's just comedy stuff but not much wrestling going on so um I think it was really good at showcasing um the wrestling like the the kind of level of the wrestling that AEW can showcase and yeah i definitely think if casuals were watching that match they would definitely uh want to see the rest of the pay-per-view i mean i just thought it was great yeah i just everyone in there would like play their part i just love jungle boy i think that man can go to the moon but i don't want to leave luchasaurus behind <laughs> luchasaurus they they can both go hand in hand to the to the that when they win them tag team titles i'm looking forward to that pop because jesus that's how you get people over from the beginning uh, then we had the small matter of um, Excalibur getting injured by Dan Lambert, Ethan Page, and Scorpio Sky alongside the baddest motherfucker, Jorge Masvidal, Andre Arlovsky, and Junior DeSantos. Um, yeah, or, or Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, it's good that they're getting a push, but in my opinion, the whole kind of low-hanging fruit, as we've as a lot of people have discussed with the kind of the promo, the, the promos of Dan Lambert and McCunn. I like Dan Lambert, um, but I think these promos aren't really where he should be utilised best. I think what he said in the second half of the promo with the whole they, they, I'm waiting to see who I want to unleash. Yeah, I'm wait, I'm only waiting to like kind of press that button so Sky, Page and, and possibly Arlovsky and Dos Santos kind of unleash on some of the roster. 
uh, leave the low hanging fruit kind of comments, barbs of pro wrestling out of it. Um, but any any quick thoughts on uh, on this? And do you think this is going to be kind of a mainstay? Uh, I don't know if Masvidal is going to be a mainstay, but um, Dan Lambert with uh, Scorpio Sky, it's it's a needed push. But what were your guys' thoughts on uh, on this going forward? Uh, I'll go to Sammy first. What do you, do you have any do you have any UFC kind of uh, fandom? Does this click with you? Do you remember Dan Lambert from his TNA days? Because I thought he was very good, but this needs a bit more refining, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I actually can't remember him from TNA. Uh, to be fair, I haven't really watched TNA since Samoa Joe and AJ Styles were there, so it's been a while. Um, but yeah, I thought it was. I, I have to be honest. This is where I went to the bathroom mm-hmm. before the actual show, so I don't actually remember much of that's that fair to be honest sorry it's about fa- that <laughs> no no it, it, it's it's a good there, there's a few few bathroom breaks here whether we like to say it or not um i'll go to you preston uh i don't know did you watch this and and i wonder what your what your thoughts are on this i don't know if you can i i just don't think the kind of the anti-wrestling promos work but i think this could this gimmick could work in a way um I only had like a brief listen at most. It wasn't really for me, I have to admit. Um, it was basically the point where I was getting my food ready before I sat down because I didn't want to have to go off anywhere and get in as much tea in preparation as possible. So I missed a majority of it. I know that <clears throat> Dan Lambert has been referred to as supposed to having some really good heat um, and really good on promos. But to me, I don't understand why you would partner... Um, all ego, Ethan Page and Scorpion Sky with him because I don't think either of them need someone to talk for them, especially no. not Ethan Page. Ethan Page has enough charisma to probably power up London for three days. It's absolutely ridiculous. And one of one of the few elements that I'm always reluctant to be open-minded to is the implementation of anything UFC-related into wrestling because. Quite frankly, I'm not interested in UFC. It does nothing for me. If I wanted to watch UFC, I'd put on UFC. I don't go to wrestling to watch UFC. And it's one of the things that I've always been slightly annoyed about when it came to WWE, for instance, was that, uh, how often they try to bring in like real wrestlers. And um, it just it's not for me, and it ends up frustrating me more than anything. So that's why this element I probably wasn't really the right audience for and I just sort of left it in the on in the background and just focused on making it a lovely pot of tea in preparation yep and as a car drives by in my house it's very warm in here so I have the, I have the window slightly ajar let's motor on to the main card haha <laughs> Scott you can't you you don't have them slick segue transitions that I do and take <laughs> coming for your job Um, we go on to the opening match which probably if we had our if we had our our, our hands up we probably didn't Name this is our opening match. We had a few. I think we discussed a few match which we think which we thought would open. CM Punk was mentioned, but this yeah, per- that was my option. I really thought it was going to be CM Punk. This was probably one of the ones I thought was, I would say, least likely to open for some yeah. reason. But I will. We will all hold our hands up. I think me and Sam are. I will. We'll both hold our hands up and say, this was brilliant. Uh, Miro versus Eddie Kingston for the TNT title, and we discussed Miro and Eddie. Um, Sam, um, Mr. Preston, <laughs> um, we we discussed how we know we can see how this is got this is the start of their feud, and I think for a match, entertainment value, wrestling, and continuing a story, this hit every single note and more. Hundred percent. I think um, when you have Miro and Eddie Kingston kick off the opening show, and the 
audience are instantly into both of them. Eddie Kingston. On fire. That crowd, man. Oh, yeah, I'm going to say it now. I think that crowd deserves a lot of credit for how good this pay-per-view was because they were completely invested um, or until like the last end of it. They were completely loud all night. They were cheering on as much as possible. And what I was, I was actually thinking to myself when Eddie Kingston came out, I said to him, if this, I said to myself, if this is the support that Eddie Kingston gets in Chicago, imagine if he was to challenge Miro in New York, for example. And I thought this was, um, this for me was probably Eddie Kingston's best match yet in AEW in terms of he's always been one of those that's better at telling the story then he is probably like um, going to do like a 30 minute sprint or have it that he's like doing a hundred moves off the apron and that sort of thing. He is very much inspired by the all, all Japan 1994 pillar style of having physical impact, storytelling, building up for it. And he really felt a threat to Miro all the way through. And the build up to that moment where Kingston hits the back fist and the DDT and he gets that visual pin because you might remember when I was saying I really thought that Miro was going to win this one but in a manner that gave Kingston a legitimate reason for a rematch and this was the moment I think was perfect and the fact that this sort of thing happens so rarely is why it meant so much because you can believe Bryce going to go in like trying to sort out the corner and that, for me, is going to be the moment that is going to get Eddie a rematch, which is what I'm going to love to see. But as an opening contest, both of these guys, I think, put in an absolutely awesome job and just continued the momentum from the pre-show. And it really set the standard for the rest of the show going onwards. Yeah, uh, and as you were saying, the way out, we thought maybe a pass out in the accolade. But no, this was this worked just as well. And uh, Sammy... Um, two big bastards beating the crap out of each other is a match that I very much like and we got it in the next match as well so this opener was absolutely perfect for me but um, what did you think overall and then the finish and uh, we're looking ahead to that Arthur Ashe show I think that's a perfect way to set that up and I'm just looking forward to a couple of weeks of promos but um, in terms of this match um, it did it did everything for me and, and Sam did it do the same for you? Uh, yeah it was amazing um, I think it was such a good showcase of how tough Eddie Kingston is and because it showed him being this tough bastard it just made Miro look so good when uh, at the finish when he uh, was able to pin him clean um, I just thought it was great and I think Eddie Kingston's selling is brilliant like the way his eyes roll back like in the back of his head like mm. ev- every time Miro goes to like kick him or punch him or throw him somewhere it just adds to that as uh, Sam was saying the the storytelling and the match it just it just was amazing and I thought that you know for an opening it just got everyone hyped up and uh, with Miro winning and uh, you know the promos as you were saying uh, I think they're going to be amazing uh, between the two of them just the back and forth that they could do um, I'm really looking forward to that, and I love the fact he came out with the redeem these nuts shirt. It's like <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and then um, I think Ruth, uh, Miro put on Twitter, "Your nuts have been redeemed," and then La- and then CJ Perry, formerly known as Lana, quote tweeted it was, "I'll redeem yours when you get home," um, <laughs> which is just perfect. But uh, a little bit of play by play. 
some highlights. We had the um, the beautiful near fall with Bryce because uh, we, we we've established that deep emotional connection between Bryce and Eddie in the Moxley feud, which I really like because you can use that to create really in depth storytelling. Because we have Bryce trying to put the turnbuckle pad back on, missing the the hurricane into the DDT, and just getting a near fall. Um, we had um, we had Miro just slamming Eddie into the ring post. Uh, as you said, Eddie's eyes were rolling back in his head, and just um, just he really because Eddie's a hard a hard bastard. So when it, when someone like him, it's like Brock Lesnar. It's like when he sells, you know something is up. And mm. it's when when a big man can sell like that. It's Walter as well. It just works perfectly. Um, we uh, had like just Miro's disbelief that Eddie is still alive after he fights back from the um, from the game over is fantastic as well. Um, Kingston going for a pile driver and then the low blow. Obviously, listen, there'll be, there'll be a few people who don't like the whole like br- like the ref looking up at the sky thing, but you know it, it's a wrestling trope that we're gonna have to live with. But this was absolutely perfect. It did its job and. Um, yeah, I'm very much, and 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 it, and it's kind of etching out that kind of. I love the. I don't know about uh, Preston. I go to you for this. I don't know about you, but the kind of etching out of Miro's un- vulnerability, like the slow burn of kind of like each match, Miro is. It, we're seeing a new vulnerability. I love that because it's not something we see a lot with like champions where they're so overprotected. I love seeing. I, I know the easiest way to protect, like to show that a champ's vulnerable is to have them be a chicken shit heel. But the fact that Miro's doing it in a way that like still like keeps him very very just incredible, which which is obvious, it's Miro. But like I really like the kind of slow burn of his his vulnerability creeping out. Absolutely, um, it's it's one of the things that I always pinpoint when it comes to Walter, for instance, who I have to say is one of my favorite wrestlers completely at the moment because what will happen is that just similar to Miro they are absolute wrecking machines that they are strong enough that when they heal uh, um, when they're actually um, selling what they're what's occurring to them it's believable and it really puts across how difficult the challenge is for them but there's always that feel like almost like a sense of inevitability if they win which but in a good way because they can give you that sense of disbelief because they're starting to show elements of them can actually be hurt. They are actually vulnerable. They are the they are both the equivalent of when Arnold Schwarzenegger says, "If the predator can bleed, we can kill it." And seeing Miro gr- gradually having it starting to show the chinks in his armor to some degrees, the weaknesses. Um, Eddie beforehand was saying that he knew what Miro's weakness was and he was going to prove it. And that made the story even more fascinating because every move that Eddie was making, you could tell there was meaning and importance behind it because it was for his overall objective. And mm. that's the, that when I say that I think he is, it was a fantastic story being told. That's what I mean by it is that it all went back to this idea of Eddie thinking he knows what it would take in order to beat Miro and with that visual pin proving it, but unfortunately, because of that missed opportunity, Miro eventually came back and took the victory. And I think both of them came out very strong because of it. Yeah, fantastic. Amazing opener. And then we moved straight on to, we went from two hard bastards beating the piss out of each other to another two big bastards beating the piss out of each other. John Moxley versus Satoshi Kojima. Everyone says they love Moxley's old team, but I love Moxley coming to the ring to Wild Thing. Wearing his GCW hoodie with the strings, 
the strings like mismatched. What a what what a crazy man with his strings mismatched. What a, what an absolute lunatic. Um, if you're ever if you're ever OCD, you probably probably had a problem with it. But um, this is just a proper New Japan match. We had slaps, we had chops. Uh, the selling like was was few and far between early on because that's what New Japan do. But then once they start breaking each other down, we started seeing as uh, the big moves come out. We had the Koji Cutter. We had um, machine gun shops, obviously, uh, from the leader of Bread Club. We had elbow drops, just old school wrestling. And you can tell Moxley is just loving this. Moxley is, I wish I was like, this sounds bad from like, like, as in like, oh, are you not as happy? But I wish I was as happy as John Moxley is just doing whatever he wants. That man just, just loves, loves getting the shit kicked out of him and giving it back. Um, hit DDTs, arm breakers. This was just a perfect example of just old school New Japan wrestling. Um, Sammy, what what were your, are you a fan of this kind of New Japan style? I just love everything Moxley does, but um, this this New Japan style is def- was definitely a, a kind of something different on a show full of kind of like AEW or American style matches. Yeah, uh, I really like this one because uh, I, I love Moxley. I, I think he's just great and I just love how he can just kind of go in the ring and just do whatever the hell he wants and it be believable. Uh you know, like he, he could just go absolutely crazy and it's still believable that that's what he would do. Um, yeah, I just think um, like the chops were, they were just so, there was something just fun about it. Um, like how over the top it was, but it's still fun and still kind of in that realm of believability. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really good match and I think you could tell that Moxley was just loving every second of it and uh, he probably loved being in the ring with a legend uh, like that. So, yeah, I thought it was a really good match. And, again, just two guys just beating the hell out of each other. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just marking out for it. Um, and I'm sure Mox was inside. Um, and then we obviously had um, just them trading like elbow shots and somewhere in the middle of this Moxie cut his elbow which is kind of a scary moment considering you really, you remember he nearly died from uh, Mercy in his elbow you just kind of get a little bit of it but obviously uh, that's gone it was just Moxie Mox- Moxley bleeds all the time I think I don't even think it's when you when Moxley bleeds it's not even just like he ble- he just ble- bleeds from like I think it might have been a knee to his elbow from Kojima or something but the fact that he's just bleeding because he's punching someone in the head is just scary but also quite like fucking i know uh, badass people people don't like that term but you know uh, i think i think moxley deserves that uh that moniker um obviously this i think this match was kind of built around preston uh like kojima going for the lariat i think i could see like the under it was all like kojima trying to find that koji lariat and moxley always uh always uh avoiding it he obviously hit the, the paradigm shift and then the super then the death rider paradigm shift for the win but uh, yeah, what what were your thoughts on this match? Obviously, I I I've seen your thoughts on Twitter, but t- uh, but tell us all. Uh, after the first match, this was just a perfect perfect. Uh, before we talk what happened afterwards, what do you think of the match itself? So I thought this was a really good follow up to the first match. You notice that the first one is physical, but with a, a very simplistic story of focusing on a weakened body part. Whereas this was a very hard physical New Japan style 
that instead of uh, focusing on a body part, focused on hitting a finisher, which in this situation was the lariat from Kojima. I love the fact that the commentators put over the strength of the lariat quite well. Like they even said at one point that he hit someone with the left, um, but it's the right you have to look out for. And that buildup of Moxie continuously trying to evade being hit by this lariat really told a very fascinating story for me and it really made Kojima seem like a big threat um, which I absolutely loved I like the fact that the two, these two just like beating the piss out of each other basically I, you probably have both seen it where there's a tweet going around that people reckon because of everything Moxie did uh, holding the title during the pandemic Tony Khan's basically gone, do you know, I really appreciate what you did. Who would you like to feud with that will uh, that I can say oh. as a thank you? And Moxley just goes, Japan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Moxley versus Japan is the feud of 2021. I saw yeah. that tweet. But anyway, yeah, uh, Kojima, 50 years old in that shape. Jesus Christ. Uh, fair play to him. He's gotten in some serious shape. Um, Bread Club lives on. Um, I hope he had a nice batch loaf afterwards. But anyway, Moxley gets up. Uh, after winning, he's his elbows bloody, and he turn, and all of a sudden we see the word King on the on the screen. And no, it's not friend of the show Jerry the King Lawler. It's Minoru fucking Suzuki. That team music hits. The crowd goes insane, and Jr. Who was amazing all night. Fair play to him. Very nearly ruined this guy's uh, Sammy. This was just so, so good. I'll get into like why I love this in a minute, but there was a few details that, uh, when he once he got in the ring. But Jesus Christ, when that Minoru Suzuki came up on the screen, you were in a bar. I want to hear what that reaction was like. Yeah, it's like the roof nearly came off of that building. Uh, everyone just went absolutely crazy. Um, yeah, it was just so... Uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's just like the, the excitement and the hype that everyone was feeling. And this is only the second match. Uh, so you're wondering, where the hell is this going to go? Like, we've still got hours left of the show. Um, but yeah, everyone was just so hyped up. And yes, yeah, as soon as he came down to the ring and then got on, his, he got on Moxley's face. And then when he uh, did the, the move on him, I can't remember what it's called. The the, the um, gotch pile driver, I believe. Yes, that's it. Um but yeah, everyone just went mental. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, it was um, now Sab, um, Mr. Preston. I keep uh, listen. We we we've got we we know who we're talking to at this stage. Um, this was just Moxley biting his lips so he couldn't smile is a big thing that people have noticed. And this, this I, I, everyone could see it. He was so excited. The Kazanian array was huge, even though. It was very close to being talked over by JR's dinner. Um, uh, what well, he was about to talk about his dinner, which was funny in itself, but also nearly very annoying. But um, just everything about this, what I loved about this, Preston, was when the first elbow strike went in, Moxley's blood was painted all over Suzuki's neck. Mm. Um, Suzuki takes off his top. Um, and it's weird. This was such a surprise, but he we, we've known for weeks that he's going to be in America. He's going to be fighting Danny Garcia. He's going to be fighting uh, on New Japan Strong, teaming back with Lance Archer. But Jesus Christ, this was just something. because I think it's because we were so focused on Danielson and obviously the potential of Adam Cole and Ruby Soho 
that we didn't like we we completely forgot that like Minoru Suzuki was in the country and oh boy did he surprise us and I just love this I love the blood on the neck I love the gotch pile driver and he's fighting Moxley on free TV for your own month for us but free TV tonight and oh my god I can't wait to me it's um it, it was probably one of the best ways to put over a Japanese talent that I've ever seen, because I can imagine that there are several probably who are watching it, who may not have known who this guy was. Now the, there are multiple parts that I think really help in putting across just how big of a fucking deal this is. Now I know you said that you were, that you were a little bit annoyed by JR's comment, but I thought his comment about saying he once went to dinner with Suzuki and he was afraid to chew that is this is a guy who has sat down with like Kane, the Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin, some of the baddest asses in the world. And JR is basically in that straight instance saying, This guy you do not fuck with. And then the other thing that I thought was brilliant was the first chord of the song. You've got it that Moxie's got his head down. And as soon as he hears it, you can instantly see him like bring his head up and have a look on his face as if say, Oh fuck, not him. Now, this is a guy who loves death matches, who throws himself on barbed wire through panes of glass, who once in CCW had a needle put through his cheek. And he has it that the moment he hears the first bars of that song, yeah, he's, we, we he's saw no, We saw no, no, no on his... I think he mouthed no, 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 which was great. Yeah. So this guy comes out basically looking like he, he couldn't give a fuck in the world, but he looks so confident in himself. A lot of the wrestlers you see come out who are challenging Moxie. They're hoisting themselves over. They're getting their shoulders large. They're like breathing heavily, like sort of like Lance Archer or Brian Cage would do. Suzuki just walks out, takes his top off and just looks at him with this devilish goodness to say, fucking yes. And this was such an awesome moment. And, I think it is a really important moment because not only does it continue the breaking down of the forbidden door at this rate, you've got the GCW world heavyweight champion wrestling at an AEW pay-per-view facing a new Japan wrestler, then going on to face another new Japan wrestler who also has appeared in GCW. Like there was, there's at this rate, it's not door is a fucking forbidden splinter because it's getting smashed down completely. And you get to see two of the toughest bastards absolutely take it on. And I am really fascinated to see what they do on dynamite because Suzuki this may be the biggest American and English audience he will probably play to, to some degrees, due to the fact he's mainly been in New Japan for the majority of his career. And I'm really hoping that they will dedicate a lot of time putting through how much of a big deal this is. And the fact that his nickname is the Murder Grandpa. And I just, I'm so excited about the possibilities that could occur because Moxie versus uh, fucking. Suzuki is dream match material, I feel. Yeah, yeah. if you haven't seen his match, their match from New Japan, go and watch it. It was fantastic. And Mo- Suzuki also hyping up the crowd for Kazanin Rain, knowing that he hasn't been able to do it in 18 months due to Japan's strict laws and not being able to shout at live events was amazing. He was so, so happy to be there. It was fantastic. I loved every single second of it, and I can't wait tonight. We'll talk about the Dynamite card later. 
holy crap, they have it stacked to the gills. Um, <laughs> but we move on after those three matches, after those two matches and that absolute amazing Suzuki moment, we move on to Dr. Britt Baker, D, um, D versus Chris Statlander for the AW women's title. Um, this was very, very good in my opinion. I thought this was a very, very good match. This highlighted and got over Chris Statlander's freaky, freaky strength, which is which was scary at points how strong she is. And for a match that sadly ha- didn't have the build that we would like it to, and hopefully the, um, hopefully, uh, the next women's feud, and there's no disrespect to Chris Statlander because she put on a hell of a performance, hopefully the next feud, which we'll talk about later, has a bit more of a story and a bit more of a build to it. Um, this was very, very good for what it was and a very, 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 very good women's match. Um, Sammy, what did you think of this match in terms of it, it? It obviously was in an awkward spot. I feel after the kind of the the really really hot and fast paced start culminating with that debut of Suzuki, but I think this was very very good. And both came out looking well. We know how good the Britt Baker is, but um, Chris Donner came out of this looking better than she went in. Yeah, I really really enjoyed this one as well. Um, I think you'll probably hear me say that a lot throughout this. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just think that I love the fact that um, even though there was people at ringside, they didn't get involved and just let the two of them just go at it. And I thought that was really great. You don't see that enough, especially with Britt Baker. So it was great to see that. And I must say that uh, curb stomp where she propelled herself off the steps, that was was amazing. That That Roland beat your heart out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and also the move that happened before that when uh, Chris Statlander did the moonsault and then crashed onto the outside, Oof, that, yeah. looked, that looked brutal as well. Um, so I think it just made both of them look really, really good. And I like the fact that Statlander didn't tap out, she just passed out. And thought that was really, really quite an interesting way to do that. So it doesn't show her giving up, it's like she's literally just passed out. So, yeah, I thought it was really, really good. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, obviously the, the curb stomp and the kind of three mo- three moves of doom that put her away. And obviously the uh, the the kind of, I think it's kind of just like a catapult moonsault that like looked horrible when she landed. Um, Orange Cassidy firing up Chris Dallander to get back in the ring for like the, the nine count was fantastic. Um, just showing he cares a lot more for her than he does for himself. Yeah. <laughs> um, um the Pittsburgh Sunrise. Uh haha. LOL. Um for foreshadowing. Statlander kicking out in two, subsequently burying that foreshadowing. Um but yeah, um the lockjaw finish it off. And um in a match that could have been a victim of lack of storytelling, they did a very, very good job of making people get really invested in it and the overall uh, consensus Preston was that this was a very 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 good match I just really there's a part of me in the back of that in my head that 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 says this could have been that little bit better if there was like a bit of like an in-depth storyline uh, uh, in behind it like to go with it but maybe I'm just like plucking a straws but maybe I, I don't think I am in per- maybe, maybe people like oh like it was a great match but it could have had that if we're talking star rain that could have elevated to like a four point like a four or four and a half with like a really really good storyline because both of these girls can definitely tell a storyline I think to some degrees that there is a story involved and it's a very simplistic one which is that Statlander has come back and proved herself worthy of being the number one contender and I think that's sometimes forgotten is that um, 
the whole point of the ranking system is obviously to show that every victory or loss matters. And they really put across how important Statlander's run has been since she's come back, that she's done such a tremendous amount of um, victories in such a short amount of time and basically catapulted herself to the number one ranked position and then can take on the champion. And in the last couple of episodes where she's been demonstrating her ridiculous amount of strength and her ability to throw around both Rebel and Jamie Hayter in, in, with relative ease, that was enough of a story that she could be a physical challenger to Britt Baker, that she's proven that she's good enough, that she can win matches. She's been the number one contender for a long period of time. And I think best thing about this is that not only does Chris Statlander in this situation demonstrate that she is capable of becoming a future women's champion, which I think she will be. I think she proved that she could stand up and basically smash it out of the park in a championship match. You've got that, but you've also got on the other side, Dr. Britt Baker had a clean victory, which is very important because for a long time, she's been cheating or using Rebel or Jamie Hayter or whatever in order to get her victories. And then this is a reminder to some degrees that actually she's not just really charismatic or really clever or anything like that. She's actually a fantastic wrestler who can win in her own right. And I think it's a really good opportunity to remind people this is a worthwhile champion. So when they had this appear before the Casino Battle Royale, I have to admit, I was wondering whether this meant it was going to turn out that Statlander may actually win, which would have surprised me because mm -hmm. I do feel that there's a lot more time they could have done with Britt Baker as champion. But the fact that they had it before the Casino Battle Royale had me wonder whether it was going to be a shock uh, change and whether that could be because of the injuries that Baker seems to keep on sustaining. Like she said, um, broken noses, uh, injured wrists, etc. Now she's battling for it like an absolute champ. Give her complete credit for that one. But um, I do think the overall story is going to be, it's going to build up to her versus Thunder Rosa for the championship, which makes complete and utter sense. But my worry is this, whether or not it's going to turn out that injuries are going to have a bigger impact on her. The fact that these things keep on happening, but Thankfully, they continue with as is, and I am really looking forward to seeing not only what Baker will go on to do uh, against the winner of the Casino Battle Royale, but I feel that Statlander has a lot of potential for this one. And even more importantly for me, the emotion that Orange Cassidy displayed, the most emotion he has ever done in AEW, feels like such an important moment that I'm curious to see where it goes from here. I mean, I never thought I'd see the day where a sloth and an alien could possibly become a couple, but I'm not going to lie, I'd ship it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Richard or David, I mean, sorry, Mr. David Attenborough would uh, would uh, gladly commentate over an orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander love story. But um, we, we must move on. I think it was fantastic. Um, maybe my I was picking out straws there, but I think moving forward, hopefully, as you said, if uh, Britt Baker stays healthy, we're going to have a very, very good start to 2022. Um, I can see Thunder Rosa winning that revolution, but, you know, who knows? Who knows when that's going to come? Um, but next up, 
we had, I don't know how you can describe it, as many people's match of the year. I think it'll be up in the top three by the end of the year. I don't even know where to begin, guys, but the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks in a steel cage. I think I'll just start by saying, holy fucking shit. <laughs> because, um, yeah, they're spot monkeys. Yes, the Young Bucks are spot monkeys. But holy shit, can they put a story behind it? Preston, um, I'd love to go to this spot by spot, but Jesus Christ, I don't think I could. Um, we had Hurricane Ran as we had spiky shoes. Um, we know they, they love to go to the Nike store. I'm not sure if Nike would be happy with them putting thumbtacks on the bottom, but you know they might bring it out as a new shoe, but I doubt it. Um, uh, we had the uh, just absolute pissing blood out of Penta's face. Um, we had finishers. We had uh, Phoenix, uh, Felix doing a Felix skipper walking across the uh, the ropes. We had the kind of the the cage jump. We just had absolutely everything that you'd want from a cage match and more. What did you think of this, Mister Preston? I thought this was the perfect culmination of three years of build up. I would say because the last time these two teams really faced each other was when they was they were battling over the triple a tag team titles i wouldn't be surprised if we looked back and found out this is actually the first time that the two teams have faced each other for the AEW tag team titles and what i love is the during the build-up it was really fascinating that they had it that you would have for instance um, Pentagon teaming with Eddie Kingston and mm. you would have Phoenix tagging with Pac, both teams of which came very close to defeating the Young Bucks. But what it actually took was the true brotherhood, not the teams or the best friends that have been created, but the true brotherhood between Phoenix and Pentagon in order to go that step further. And that seemed to be a major element of the story as it went through, that brotherhood and partnership between them, uh, between Penta with his absolute heartbreaking moment where he got in front of Phoenix to protect him, or that that moment where Phoenix broke the pain when the crowd thought it was over. And I think that was the moment that took this from a very good match to a brilliant match it, it added depth to it yeah it's, it's not just that but also over the last couple of months we've become ingrained in expecting that when it comes to that moment the young bucks will win and this felt like that moment where they've beaten down phoenix and pentagon their victory is there for them and the fact that phoenix broke the pin gave it that moment of magic where you could feel actually maybe things are different this time and that for me is where the young butts display tremendous storytelling because they've taken what they've done over the last couple of months and built it up to the perfect ending yeah it was um my my personal favorite moment was that super kick party where they all just fell down and then phoenix pops back up and kicks him in the face i just love that um sammy um there's a lot of young books haters out there as we know there's a lot of, uh, like, they've kind of cultivated this kind of, this just from the indies of, like, oh, all action and no kind of, sub like, substance. And they've time and time again in AW proved people wrong. And time and time again, they've had their doubters. I think they left the doubters with, like, nothing to say with this match because as much as we love, we were going to praise Pentagon and Phoenix, the Young Bucks played their role absolutely perfectly in just showing utter disbelief at the fact they couldn't put these brothers away and then absolutely just selling their selling their asses off with just 
just all, all of them sold their ass up. But like, I think I just want to get your opinions on kind of the young books, just proving all that was wrong. They'll still have them because it's it's the it's wrestling, and everyone has their opinions. Um, but um, I think the young books definitely um, went out there with a point to prove and definitely proved it. Yeah, um, I have to say uh, with the Young Bucks, I personally don't like the characters that they have, but I can, you know, fault them for the talent that they have and their in-ring ability and their ability to tell a story and uh, just get the audience, you know, hyped up and get them invested in the storyline. I have to say this was match of the night for me. I absolutely loved it from start to finish. Uh... I love the Lucha Brothers. I was just so happy when they won. Um, and yeah, it was just so brutal. And I was kind of wondering um, if weapons would get involved at some point. So I thought that was a really creative way to bring in uh, a weapon into the match other than just the cage and to you know get the blood flowing. Because I think I've got to the point now where whenever... Uh, Phoenix and Penta are in a match they're going to bleed kind of mm-hmm. like with Moxley they they just want to bleed all the time yeah there's um, something there's something about when someone has their mask ripped open I've watched enough like AAA and I'm sure I'm sure you guys have I've watched enough AAA when someone gets their mask ripped open there is a pool of blood going to collect in that little uh, little opening as we've seen from many masks versus hair matches in uh, at Triple Mania but Pentagon just yeah, Sammy, I'll let you go on. But like Pentagon, just I was scared that he was going to lose vision there. Um, I, I was very, very like I was like, oh, let's hope this match is like five minutes from the end because he might not be able to see. Yeah, I, I was kind of worried a little bit as well. It's just like when you seen like the the mask open. I think it was like a shot that was just on him, and it's like just blood was just pulling. Uh, yeah, I was kind of like, oh. Maybe he wasn't meant to bleed that much. Uh, but, um, yeah. And that moment when he like um, went in front of Phoenix to stop the the attack, that was just, like, uh, so heart-wrenching. Uh, but, yeah. I also, like, loved the moment at the end of the match where uh, Penta was with his kids, was with his daughters. Yes. I thought that was such it's, it's, a... Oh, his kids covered in blood. Cause you yeah, can, yeah, because because you can see Phoenix whistling to his brother trying to. Because Phoenix said, uh, I think afterwards he was trying to wait in the post match media scrum. Um, he was trying to get Penta. He was whistling to Penta to try and get him up there for the shot of them with the belts on the ramp. But Penta mm-hmm. was like, "No, I need to be with my kids." Um, yeah. I really hope they had a change of clothes with them. I'm pretty. I hope Penta was like, "I'm gonna bleed and then I'm going to hug you." Please bring a spare T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Not again, hope, Dad. God say. <laughs> I just hope the kids are okay because I watched uh, recently Beyond the Mat and um, it's on Netflix, the documentary, and the bit in it that was kind of like really heartbreaking was the Mick Foley and the Rock match where his kids and his wife were at ringside and just all those tears saw cheer shots and his mm. kids are crying his wife is crying they have to leave and i'm just like oh please don't tell me that's what penta's kids have went through uh, please i think i don't, Mac, I don't I, want to think that i know it's mcfoley but i think penta's kids are probably used to it and uh, <laughs> i think it was uh, i think i think there was a lot of triumph in that so hopefully they were okay um yes i'm glad Br- just Brandon. that as well but also i think that because of the importance of lucha libre in mexico um 
there it's probably a lot more open between the families about what's actually going on. So hopefully the kids were better prepared in that situation. Whereas like in, in, in that, in this sort of match, it's the, it's obviously going to be difficult to watch if, if it's your parent, but there's at least moments you can think, right, they're, they're still just wrestling, putting on a show. There's a difference between that and someone getting, hit 10 times in a with a steel chair and an unprotected head yeah, yeah. So. Um, speaking of Mick Foley it was nice to see that Brandon Cutler didn't have his Mick Foley moment and actually managed to get the boot over the cage because um, it was a it was a it was a pretty high cage um, yeah that was but, an impressive throw I actually yeah. was like what if he fucks this up what's going to happen if he actually fucks this throw up <laughs> it was going to sue his character to be honest um, I was surprised then, he succeeded and it was part of the storyline to be honest the boot flies out of the bag and lands straight on his fucking head yeah. Um, I just, yeah we had the obviously the, I, I, I really enjoyed the simplicity of the cage dive as well because with mm. Phoenix they could have done something so much more complicated but they didn't which was great they could have done double moonsaw or whatever but the cage the simplicity of it I loved the fucking with the walk and the kick because I've seen that in person on the ropes and it looks risky enough. Jesus Christ, my I don't know about you guys, but my heart skipped a beat when he ran across the cage to kick Nick in the face. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I was like, because there's holes in that cage. Don't trip. Um, but we had so many spots. We just had like everything was just fantastic. And then the celebration at the end. And if you've watched the um the video that they released uh yesterday, the kind of road to show where they had all the new signees uh, and kind of the winners talking penta penta's promo and phoenix they're so passionate and i really hope this is a start of a good title reign for them and i think this i hate to start it's a start of a title reign i hate to talk about how it culminates but i think this feud this needs to to lead to santana and ortiz versus the lucha bros maybe a double or nothing maybe somewhere else but i think this needs to i think santana and ortiz versus the lucha bros could be absolute money I agree, actually. I was going to say something very similar because I've watched their matches when they were in Impact Wrestling. and The chemistry they have is absolutely fantastic. And I do feel that the time is almost right that they're going to start priming to prepare Santana and Ortiz to become the next big challengers. And what I love is that every time is that whenever someone wins a title, it feels like it was the right time and not forced. I know that some people may say different when it says, for instance, coming to whether Adam Page will become the AEW champion. But I think AEW has proven that they are very good at building superstars up to the point that when they pull the trigger on them winning a title, it's the perfect time. Yeah. And sadly, we're going to have to move on from talking about that match, but absolutely amazing. And like just an absolute advert brilliant advert for that AEW tag team division and I cannot wait to see what happens going forward but we move on and this was a perfect kind of breather after such an intense match and such an intense opening to the show um, a battle royal is always going to be a nice palate cleanser um, I don't uh, so I'll go through the first of all we had the women's casino battle royal we had Nyla Rose Thunder Rosa the Bunny Big Swole Ty Conti Diamante versus Penelope Ford Bel- Red Velvet Akira Shida Emi Sakura Jake Cargill, Kira Hogan, Abaddon, Layla Hirsch, Kylan King, Rebel, Jamie Hayter, Anna Jay, Riho, and Sky Blue. Now, and obviously we had the Joker. But can you can you say that again, but in order of when they came out? No. <laughs> um, but um, 
So I think we just need to talk. I, I, the best way we can talk about this is before the Joker comes out. Any spots that were memorable to anyone? Anything you didn't like? Your general thoughts on Casino Battle Royales? I'll go to press. I'll go to Preston first on this one. Just you know that this is the easiest way to talk about Battle Royal. Good moments, bad moments, and your general thoughts on kind of Casino Battle Royal uh, because it's been a kind of contentious issue in terms of the the. the um, I I personally think it should be exclusive double or nothing and have the ladder match either on the other three. I think it'd be a better like star making uh, kind of match as a ladder match, and then just keep that to the kind of casino team. But what are your thoughts? I'm one of those rare ones, it seems, who actually loves the casino battle royale. I it could be because of the fact that I love something like the Royal Rumble or Gauntlets or that sort of thing, where you can have that build up to who comes out next. And I do feel that the style of the casino battle royale is different enough that it makes it stand out quite well. So I love seeing who's going to come out next. I do feel that to some degrees, they may have to start implementing almost like a split screen when it comes to the entrances. So you can see what's happening in the ring on one side and you can see who's coming out on the other side. That is one of the only elements I dislike about it. Um, I was a little bit surprised at how quickly Sheeda got eliminated, for instance. I Riho she- as well. Honestly, there was a lot there. She, Sheeda, Riho. I'll give Sky Blue a mention as well. I didn't think she deserved to be dumped out that quickly, even though she was a last-minute addition. It was very, yeah. very strange. Um, Rio, in fact, is uh, probably one of the negatives in that she did not uh, she was not eliminated properly. You, mm-hmm. could, It looked like she rode out of the ring, and I think afterwards they have actually shown that she rode out of the ring for it, which is unfortunate because that's, that's going to be what all the naysayers are going to focus on, which is really unfortunate. What I did like was to focus on different types of stories, such as like the Bunny and Penelope Ford battling against Tay Conte uh, and Anna Jay. Love Tay Conte and Anna Jay. I just think they're just just fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I love the fact that Diamante and uh, Big Swole were continuing their feud, which prepared them for the upcoming episode on AEW Dark. Uh, I liked the interactions between Thunder Rosa, Jade Cargo, Nyla Rose. I do feel that they set enough possible options for them to continue on with some new stories. And I would actually go so far as to say is that there was enough out of this match, I feel, that if they were to do another tournament for the AEW Women's Tag Team, um, I feel that this would be a really good time with it. Um, so that's my thoughts pre-Joker. Yeah, um, I thought uh, Emi Sakura was very strange. Uh, I, I didn't... I didn't. It was the, who, the, who was the guy with her, first of all? I'm, 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 I'm very unsure. I did like Jay Cargill and Nyla Rose as a feud. I don't know if it's going to be Hill versus Hill. Very, very strange. Obviously, if you haven't watched uh, Diamante and Big Swole's um, match, I forget what the weird stipulation was, Preston, if you can... It's the three strikes, which is basically pinfall in the first round and then submission in the second round and then knockout in the third round. Basically, a three stages of hell. Yeah, very, 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 very very good match that people were saying should have been on Dynamite, I believe. So, um, go and check that out. Um... But yeah, um, Sammy, uh, same questions. You, any good moments that stood out? Any bad moments? Any moments that you didn't like? I won't say bad. And then your general thoughts on kind of the battle royal concept. Are you in Sam's presence corner or are you in the uh, kind of contentious corner? Uh, I quite like battle royals. I think um, like I really like the Royal Rumble, but that's more down to 
the surprise of who's going to be coming out next and things like that. But I do quite like uh, a battle royal. Although sometimes I feel like it's hard to, if there's too many people in the ring, it's hard to kind of focus on all the action. You know, when there's too many people in the ring, because I know sometimes during the Royal Rumble, there could be like too many people in the ring and they're all fighting and it's hard to focus. Uh, But there is one thing that I was really kind of disappointed about. Um, Abaddon is like, I think she looks amazing. Like, she could have like eliminated a few more people or she could have been in there a lot longer than she was. I was so gutted when she got kicked out. Like, so early on. And I was like, what? It's like, she looks so cool and she has this great gimmick. And I think, uh, she, should, I think she should have, like, been protected to an extent where, like, maybe she eliminated herself to, like, stalk someone up the ramp or something. Yeah, sure. something like that. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it's hard to do that. Or I don't know how you'd protect her like that. But maybe, maybe she gets distracted by trying to, like, just bite someone's t- Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was expecting her to have more of a, like maybe a one-on-one with, uh, oh, the name escapes me. Describe them. The one who was the previous champion. Oh, oh Hikaru Shida. Yes, Shida, that's it. Totally they did have like, a moment in the corner, I noticed, where Abaddon went with went to her, but they didn't seem to really put as much attention to it as I would have thought. Yeah, because I thought they would have, considering, like, the last time they were, like, in any kind of fight together, like, she dug a half her neck ripped off. So it's like, you would think that they would have more of an interaction, but I don't know, I just think that was a missed opportunity, because they could have had Abaddon, you know, do more crazy, crazy shit in the ring. Uh, And I don't know, I just don't know why they would just kind of throw her out so early on. I have to admit, I do agree with that one. I think um, it made sense to me when they got rid of, say, Sky Blue very quickly because it showed her naivety as a wrestler to some degrees that she is still relatively young enough that she will soak in the cheers for a brief moment and that will set her up to a point that she could be eliminated. That, to me, makes sense. But um, Abaddon, I could have, like you, I could have seen her uh, feature for a lot longer and depending upon who she had been eliminated by, you could have had a very interesting feud set up. But the bunny probably was not the right choice. It makes sense for the bunny to be the type that would take advantage of um, eliminating someone from behind. But it just it doesn't feel like there's grounds there for these two to go into a feud. I could be wrong, uh, which I'd be interested to see, but... The bunny is already in a feud with Anna Jay, Tay Conti, and probably going to be at least another one or two by the end of the week because, like every member of the Hardy fa- uh, family office, she's really good at annoying people. So, <laughs> inevitably, there's going to be more. Um, and a slightly awkward moment, I have to admit, I think was for Layla Hirsch. By the time she came out, there was a brief moment where she was looking to see who she attacks, and there was a little bit too much of a focus on it, making it seem like everyone's busy wrestling and she's just left by herself. I thought that was a bit of an awkward situation for her, but that really is, you know, nitpicking at best. Right. Um, let's not let's not uh, beat around the bush. My uh, my Skype decided to update <laughs> just as this night couldn't get any uh, 
any more uh, stupid. Um, but um, we'll move on to the Joker because what a Joker it was. I'm going to just go straight up. It was Ruby Soho. I absolutely loved the team. And she looked so, 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 so ho happy. And I was very happy for her. Uh, we've subsequently learned that like Sarah Logan was backstage with her child. Mm-hmm. And she she was, the emotion was just pouring out of her. The Destination AW jacket, I want one. Um, and yeah, just everything about this was great. Sammy, um, were you a fan of Ruby Soho beforehand? I'm sure anyone who wasn't is now. But no, this just this was one of them. You know them. Do you guys get them moments when you're, especially since I've started watching AEW, I just get those goosebumps. It's like a chill. You get like a chill, and then you just notice that like your hairs are actually standing up. You hear that expression a lot, yeah. but your hairs just are standing up on your arms and and just everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I met. I only know her from WWE, but um, but yeah, just like from the little amount she was in the ring for, it, it really was enough to kind of like sell you on just how good she is and how kind of charismatic she is in the ring as well she just has so much personality that i feel wasn't really allowed to kind of like blossom in wwe because wwe just like to shackle all the wrestlers and take any um uniqueness out of them i feel um and just make them generic but yeah it's like i love the new style that she has and yeah it's like um i really like the one-on-one that she had with thunder rosa like the ending like just how on edge you are like as both of them are on the edge of the apron oh yeah uh, that's, that's just, a dynamite main event i'm just kind of put it out there like i'd I gladly see that as like an as like kind of thunder rosa being like just after whenever that Britt Baker match happens, I'd gladly see it as a main event of Dynamite and it wouldn't look out of place. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the two of them just, like, have this chemistry, like, in the ring, even though they weren't really in the ring for that long. Um, But you you could just see that they work really well together and the near misses for them falling off the apron was really, really good. And I think everyone was just on the edge of their seat. Yeah, um, Preston, as we knew from the kind of the reports, sadly, we have to go off this, that when once we got down to the final two, we kind of knew who where we were going with it. Um, but as a kind of uh, just a side note, when Ru- Ruby Soho had her arms around kind of uh, arms around Thunder Rose in the super exposition and was leaning back, I was so scared that there was going to like that she was leaning very far back. Like sometimes when you see that kind of she was leaning so far back i was like please don't do a john cena batista please don't do a john cena batista or something have tony cameron out and tear both his quads but um <laughs> but, but Preston, what did you think kind of like the final two and the the kind of the decision to have the joker win which is something that they haven't had they don't do many joker wins no correct me if i'm wrong with a wikipedia search but i don't think that maybe they've done one maybe even none no, actually, if you um, if you were to look back, you'd find out that the only Joker to have ever won the Casino Battle Royale was Adam Hangman Page in the oh, very yeah. first inaugural one. But you might remember that pro- that during the preview, I was saying that I did think Ruby Soho was going to be the Joker, but I didn't think she would win. Mm-hmm. And 
And the reason for that was because of the fact that she was going to be the Joker. I'd gotten so used to it being a case that the Joker is a big surprise, but it doesn't necessarily need the victory. You only have to look at, like, say, Leo Rush, for example, or Mercedes Martinez, who have come in, been a surprise, but not ended up actually getting the victory. However, um, Ruby Soho as the Joker if they were going to have it any time that the Joker was going to win and it would be the last time for the next few years, I couldn't pick up a better time. In fact, I w- legitimately wouldn't be surprised if they called an audible and said, we're going to put Ruby over because the moment she came out, there was such a wonderful reaction from the crowd. And I can almost imagine her being slightly worried that she was going to come out and there'll be crickets because when she came out, you could see the look on her face from what had occurred that she was so surprised and touched by it. And I think that's a considering- She said that afterwards she was just like I, I if you don't if you don't quite know how much AEW impacts people who come in for the first time, check out that video that I've been harping on about. And I, I do harp on about those Tuesday shows, but my God, did they just show the emotion in the wrestlers. It wouldn't surprise me because one of the I, I love the fact that it was her against Thunder Rosa in that it they are going they are probably the two biggest impacts in the women's division, I would say, over the last couple of years, in that they are two who come in and instantly raise the standard by quite a tremendous amount. Ruby Soho was always vastly underrated and underappreciated, and it's and she has so much potential at what she could do, but the moment that I loved the most, and it's a very small moment, but it's something that has been going around on Twitter ever since, as soon as people saw it, was that as soon as Ruby Soho realized she had won, you see her mouthing to Bryce Wensberg. Mm. Hi, Bryce, because they've been, they used to be good friends when they were younger. And the it, it basically looked like, a friend seeing her best friend that she hasn't seen for years after she just finally got that achievement. And the hug between the two of them, I have to admit, was the moment I was like, right, I'm fucking sold. I'm a hundred percent behind her. I want Ruby to win and she better fucking win. And that sort of thing. It was just such a, it was, it felt a sincere moment. And when you talk about the goosebumps you get on your arms, I think that's because when people come in, you feel that sincerity of the happiness they're having and the fact that they're seeing old friends and that sort of thing. And what the fact that Ruby actually said afterwards, her, her actual quote was, it felt like home the minute I walked out there. Um, I, I don't think Ruby's going to win when she faces Britt Baker. I, I, it wouldn't make sense for her to, but I think it was a wonderful moment that she was really, she had really earned and deserved. And I think if even if that's the only moment she gets for the next couple of months uh, in terms of a big victory, it was worth it because she had done that with the tremendous work she put into getting herself known afterwards, getting people excited. And I am just so interested to see what happens from here. And I think she could go on to be a surprise MVP of the women's division over the next, well, six to 12 months, I'd say. Yeah, I'm just going to put it out there. When when she returns from injury, Ruby Soho versus Serena Deep, please. Um, Take my money. Take my money. Please. I am more than happy to go for that. Please. Um, but anyway, we move on um, to a match where I still don't know how I feel about this because I have been 
We'll talk about the positive. We'll, we'll talk about the positive. There was there was a lot, good lot of positives in this, but I just don't know. I feel like I'm not bad at, outside the Casino Battle Royal. This is my least favorite match. Um, I said I will take out the the Paul White and like the of the matches that went like that we were kind of anticipating and building to. This was my least favorite, and I think it's because for the simple fact that we had already seen it. It was MJF versus Jericho. Jericho loses. He'll never re- never wrestle again. Obviously, with the final the, the countdown, and we we thought we're getting old school Jericho back. We got um, the whole kind of countdown to the millennium thing, but MJF came out fantastic. We got the kind of ear rapey, <laughs> just Jericho fuzzy entrance, um, which I didn't enjoy. I just think it took away the one thing that people like about fuzzy with the Judas entrance, which is the crowd singing, which is drowned out completely. Um, and then we had the match, which I thought had a really cool ending. I agreed with the ending, which a lot of people didn't. Um, but Sammy, I'm gonna go to you. Do you get why I'm conflicted about this? Because there was there was a lot of good, but just had but like part of me was like, we've seen this before. Plus Jericho can't really go anymore. It was good in spots. We had good selling by MJF, and MJF is criminally underrated in the ring because no matter where you like to twist it, he had to carry the, a lot of this match. But uh, what were your thoughts on this? Were you Jer- are you a big Jericho fan? Was there any like kind of com- confliction, or were you kind of did you like? Uh, I'm actually more of a MGF fan. I mean, I used to be a huge Jericho fan when I was younger. Um, but, yeah, I have to say that entrance for Fozzie, it's like, that sounded awful. That just sounded terrible. I don't know yeah. if it was because we were in a in a bar no, and it was coming through the speakers, no. but it just sounded awful. Uh, and it just drowned out the crowd completely. Um, but the match itself, I thought it was all right. Um, but yeah, MGF definitely carried majority of the match and his sailing was brilliant. Um, but the ending, I felt it would have been better to keep it with the three count and have his leg on the ropes oh, and yeah. have it actually end at that point. So that means that he can, that Jericho can go away, do Fozzie for a while and then come back and be like, wait a minute. I technically didn't lose that match, so technically hmm. I can still wrestle. I think that would have been better because uh, that way the MGF can uh, go around and say, I ended his career, blah, blah, blah. And then when he continues and then maybe six months, 12 months later, Jericho comes back, he'd be like, actually, you didn't. But, yeah, I just don't understand why why they did um did this match before um, on Dynamite. Um, I just don't understand why they didn't just leave it until the pay-per-view so that it's not feeling too, like, repetitive. Um, yeah, on, yeah. Just, yeah, it's yeah. Just, I'm, I'm, I just wasn't invested, unfortunately, because I'm just like, I, I, I have been a very big, big critic of Jericho. There's a lot of stuff I do like, but him in the ring is just isn't one of them, unfortunately. Um, Preston, the finish, although it made like people are like, oh, we've seen this happen a lot, but why is it being called out now? I do understand that there was a ref. Out. The way I'm defending it is there was a ref out there to take away Hager and Wardlow, and then he happened to see the foot on the rope. Maybe that maybe that's me defending it to the hill a bit too much, which is strange for me in the Jericho sense. But what were your general thoughts? There's nowhere where I can kind of like go to kind of get your opinion on because I just this match just felt a bit flat for me. 
there's a lot of conflicting uh, feelings when it comes to this match. Before the match, I was one of the ones who was saying that I feel MJF has to win in order to make it worthwhile. I felt that, one, it, it was perfectly timed in terms of Chris Jericho being able to go away and play Fozzie for a couple of months or whatever. But two, I also felt that the heat that MJF would generate from defeating Chris Jericho and retiring him, he is the sort of person that it perfectly suits. So for me, before and I was saying, I think MJF needs to win, otherwise all the effort has been wasted. I am confused as to why they decided to have the fifth labor happen on Dynamite and then have this match happen again. You could have probably just had the fifth labor occur on Dynamite and have MJF win. It's... It is something that I'm very confused by, but I will say that Tony Khan has earned my trust enough that I'm willing to see where this goes from here. I do feel that the the dusty finish, as it's obviously commonly referred to, I actually have to say I think it was really well done. I think mm. it was um, it was well planned. It, the way it was played out was fantastic because you've got it basically. Wardlow comes out and Hager comes to attack him. So because the referees come out to separate that, that's how they happen to catch that Chris Jericho had his foot on the rope. Now, this is a difference between being in the back and running out specifically to tell them, because then it would be a case like, well, why don't you do that every fucking show? But this was primarily a case that Paul Turner was outside of the ring because he had to deal with the interference and he saw it. So this is actually the repercussions of MJF's own actions, whereby trying to call in help, it ends up being what gave away the fact that he cheated and allowed the opportunity to restart the match. Now for a brief moment, I did think they were going to restart the match and have MJF win again, just to really stick the knife in. But MJF can 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 come out of this and say that he was screwed out of it because he did win um, and he can keep his heel heat. He doesn't really lose much having lost the match. Uh, Chris Jericho can continue as is, which is fine. Um, I have to be honest, the best thing for me probably wasn't the match itself. It was the moment where Excalibur starts saying, I hate to give MJF any credit and Tony Schiavone goes, then don't. Yeah, um, Tony Schiavone is very, very good with Don Callis and um, and uh, MJF with portraying that his pure hatred for them um, it is fantastic. But yeah, um, I think this match, I think we've said what we all need to say. I, I'm with you, Sam. I have a lot of trust in Tony Khan, um, but I really hope this gets nipped in the bud and MJF can move on to uh, Pastures Greener. <coughs> CM Punk, please. Um, but um, yeah. Um, speaking of chick magnet Phil um, everyone look at the wrist because I wish I could scream but it's not um, in the middle of the day it's actually the middle of the night <laughs> half 11 to be precise it's clobbering time doesn't really doesn't really have the same impact uh, as it would if he if you scream it but it is clobbering time Darby Allen's entrance was fantastic um, jumping out of a plane before a match with CM Punk what a daredevil badassery again um, at its finest uh, or a helicopter. I don't know if I said airplane first, but yeah, it's a, it was a helicopter. Um, but yeah, this was the match we've been all been anticipating. Uh, again, placement on the card that we didn't expect, but I thought this was brilliant. 
Um, we pointed, I think I pointed this out to Sam and someone pointed out on Twitter that this was almost a carbon copy of Bret Hart versus One Two Three Kid. Mm. Um, and this was very much a case of the new style of CM Punk, uh, him getting over Darby Allen whilst also showing off the modern... Because if you went into this match expecting CM Punk from Ring of Honor or even CM Punk from his WWE run, then you were kind of kidding yourself. And I think the CM Punk we got was fantastic. I personally, my favorite spot of the entire night was the coffin drop and the sit up and CM Punk just pissing himself <laughs> laughing in the middle of the ring. I thought that was fan fucking tastic. But I don't know. I it's it, I could go through this. Um, I, I prefer to just talk about the match as opposed to go through spot by spot because we know what happened. But uh, Sammy, CM Punk was back in the ring. And as we said, as I just said, um, we we're going to see a new side to him. And I thought he played his role fantastically i thoroughly enjoyed the match yeah same uh i really loved the storytelling in the match um when you had darby being trying to like um be fast and use his speed and agility uh at the start of the match and then punk being able to um get him in a hold and kind of no matter how much darby tried to get out of it punk always kind of kept kept that hold hold on um but yeah, I thought Punk did amazingly well considering he's not been in the wrestling ring for so long. And yeah, I just think he's still he's still got it, even though that's kind of cliched uh, at this point. But clap, 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 clap. sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought the the pace of the match was really well done. And I have to say, when Punk whipped like Irish whips, oh. Derby into the post. Oh my god! Like that looked devastating. It's I've like, seen that. I've seen that move before from Derby Allen, and I've actually seen that move live in OTT. Mm. It still doesn't get any like nicer to watch. Holy shit! It's amazing. Um, it gets CM Punk over as like just this ultra strong guy. But um, Sam, Mister Preston, of course. Um, Obviously, we've alluded to kind of the Bret Hart one, two, three kid. That obviously the opening sequence I really enjoyed with the whole kind of no, 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 um, punk. This isn't like riding a bike, as you said. Um, it's just some of the moves, just watching him break. The, I love the GTS spot, the fantastic GTS spot where Darby Allen just flung himself out of the ring. I think that would have only worked. <laughs> it's getting like it would have only worked um, as good as it did with Darby Allen and his selling. Um, but yeah, I'm my, I'm nearly losing my voice, so I'll, I'll hand it over to you to give you your thoughts on this match. But uh, yeah, no, I just thought Darby Darby played his role perfectly as well. We need to give Darby all the credit in the world because th- this was obviously built around CM Punk's return, but Darby has played an absolute blinder. I think Darby Allen was the perfect choice for CM Punk's first match back um, because Darby Allen has, gr- has grown substantially over the last couple of years to become a ring leader degrees and what i loved especially was not just the bret hart one two three kids element but the storytelling that was involved not just by commentary but also in the ring itself so it's the little details such as when excalibur mentions that darby allen's first match occurred 13 months after cm punk retired and that really gave an emphasis on the paths that the two men have taken and the difference between them that the entire time that cm punk has been uh, retired, Darby Allen has become a wrestler 
evolved into a tremendous wrestler, been signed up by AEW and become a a mainstay and a star for them. The use of uh, Adam's cardio and speed, as Sammy mentioned, I thought was fantastic. The fact that Punk was struggling with the explosiveness is something that helps the crowd get invested. There were these couple of little moments that I absolutely loved, which for me was moments where it looked like Punk's muscle memory automatically kicked in. And I feel that was the moment where he would have started feeling comfortable because the early steps looked like he was thinking about what he was doing. But there's a tilt a world breaker that he does, mm. which was absolutely gorgeous. Shout there out was, to Alberto Larrea. I'm joking. Uh, yeah, let's not do that. Uh, <laughs> there was the moment where he bridged up into a backslide, which I was impressed he was able to do it. And it was that moment where he just seemed to go on muscle memory. And the fact that Alan fell out of the ring after that GTS, I thought was a tremendous character touch um, because to some degrees, that could have been bad luck, or it could have been Alan having enough memory and uh, fortitude to take the example to be able to get out of the ring to save himself. And the fact that Punk waited in the corner, some people were saying it was because he was going to accept the countout. To me, it was a case of him conserving his energy and reevaluating. But the fact that you could have two different interpretations of it is a sort of fascinating element that. Punk always brings it was a kayfabe element and a real life element and that yeah and I really like that uh, absolutely um, the this was a clean victory for Punk where he had a bit of ring rust at times but his his storytelling was still fantastic and I think that's always been so that's been very underrated from him is that yes he is a fantastic wrestler in the ring but the stories he can tell is very underrated I've been quite lucky during my um, uh, going through his 434-day title reign, you get a chance to really see the tremendous stories he's able to tell in the ring and building upon what's occurred so far. But Darby Allen came out of this probably smelling of roses in terms of pushing um, Punk to the limits and coming out still looking extremely strong. Now, what I found very interesting was afterwards when Punk is walking away, he goes to leave by the heels entrance and the crowd reacts as they say, no. So he's like pointing to the left or the right to check which one he's supposed to go. And when he points to the right, they're like, yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. And he goes through, but knowing CM Punk and knowing Tony Khan and AEW, I'm half expecting this is the first hint that CM Punk may turn here at some point. Um, and that's why he acts almost accidentally went out by the heel exit, Ooh. but didn't notice that. But um, another thing that I really love was um, on Rampage. We remember on commentary, Punk asked him what that code red move was and said, "Oh, I better not take that." And he took it, and it almost cost him. Um, I also really enjoyed the fact that just because showed that he's he's still got it that he took that Darby Allen coffin, uh, Darby Allen, sorry, suicide dive that he didn't want to take. Um, that just shows a lot of trust. Uh, obviously, there was so many good spots. But um, what do we think is next for CM Punk? I personally think if Jericho is out of the way for a bit, I think MJF is a natural feud. Maybe a Darby Allen rematch, which I think he said in that kind of that Tuesday, Tuesday video. Um, my friend's been texting me saying, what's next? I'm saying, whatever it is, I don't want it to be Darby Allen. Um, I wouldn't like it to be Sting. Personally, I just, I, I maybe, maybe it'd be better. Maybe if Punk finds a partner. Maybe if Brian, maybe if Brian Danielson, obviously we're not going to have Brian Danielson going straight to a 
straight to a main roster feud, maybe Brian Danielson and CM Punk versus Sting and Darby Allen. I'd take that. Um, but what, um, there's so many possibilities with AEW. What do you think is his next move? Uh, Sammy, I'll go to you first. Um, I haven't really thought about it, but I really like the idea of MGF. I mean, I yeah. can just imagine the promos that yeah. they would just come up with. Uh, yeah. That could be amazing. And the amount of uh, heat NGF could make for himself, that would that would just be great. And um, I think it would just be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry for putting you on spot, but yeah. Uh, but no, um, MJF is just... is. Is needs to finally flesh out his in ring. He needs to wrestle more, and I think a feud with him and Punk would be fantastic. Maybe um, MJF has Wardlow, and uh, it, honestly, if if Punk enlisted the help of Sting to have a tag match between MJF and Wardlow, that's how you use Sting in tag matches. Don't have him in the singles matches. Maybe if Darby Allen drafted in, or maybe even Brian Danielson, you could incorporate that into the build into their story. But uh, Preston, what are your thoughts? I'm sure you have some. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see CM Punk appear in a couple of tag team matches, such as alongside CM Punk, Sting, maybe even Daniel, uh, sorry, Brian Danielson. It was interesting that CM Punk didn't come out during the main event, which mm. makes me wonder what could possibly happen there. Um, I have a slightly... Um, Surprise, surprising couple of choices that I would love to see. Um, the first one uh, would actually be, I'd be curious to see him versus Ricky Starks. Oh, who, yeah, even teasing that because he, he put up on Instagram today, uh, found this in Lost and Found. It was an FTW or at the airport, an FTW hat. Yeah. So I think um, Ricky Starks is a, f- a fantastic talent who... He is so good on the mic and he has that arrogance that um, I feel him and Punk could play off each other quite well. And it also would allow him to have those possible tag team matches with Darby Allen and Sting, considering the ongoing war that has occurred between Darby Allen and Team Taz. Mm. Only now it could be different in that it could be, for instance, CM Punk and Cage versus uh powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks and I feel that would be amazing to see give, but me, the, give me Hook in the ring that man is beautiful <laughs> to not actually do anything just in the ring just like yeah. there to, to drape, uh, drape the floor or something like that but um, something that's going to be a little out of um, uh, like left field I'm actually going to say I would love to see CM Punk in an old school wrestling style feud with Dax Harwood and the reason for that is it does feel that his partner, Cash Wheeler, there is rumors about whether or not the nerve damage he's had is going to mean he's not going to be able to continue. Now, until we get a confirmation, uh, I could see Dax Harwood having a few more singles matches. We've seen how well he did with Jungle Boy, for instance. And I feel that Dax Harwood and CM Punk would be a very underrated feud between the two that could cover for a little while on dynamite before going to the next pay-per-view so um and i feel that could also lead into that future feud with mjf so it would lay the groundworks to some degree so yeah we've seen how would have that feud with jungle boy or kind of have that magic jungle boy so definitely can go on a singles yeah so those are the two that i think um from a heel side are probably 
just rightly placed that they don't have an obvious story to go with at the moment so they could do a month or month feud for instance or something like that wise possibly leading into something else so ricky starts with dax harwood i think would be the ones i'd be fascinated to see punk against yeah well in our time in about an hour and 20 minutes we'll find out because he will be speaking tonight by the time you listen to this you'll probably know what his next move is and you'll also know what the first moves are for our day for our debuts in the main event which just excites me about dynamite tonight that there's so many people speaking and there's so many things that could go on including suzuki and moxley but it is 2340 here well do we want to talk about big paul white and qt marshall i'll just gonna i'm gonna give it to you but do we want to talk about this or we move to the main event i have some thoughts We'll give you your. Uh, we'll go with Mr. Preston for the last time. You just you have to. I honestly went for a piss. I my, my my bladder is perfectly synced up with my wrestling pleasure because as soon as this match came on, I felt the urge to pee and I went and I didn't come back. Um, I have to admit, I I thought this match was harmless. Uh, the you can tell that the whole point of it was to allow that come down between. CM Punk and the main event so that everyone could get a breather. Um, in retrospect, I do feel to some degrees that the crowd may not have needed it. However, I will say that for that the match for me was harmless. It did exactly what it needed to do, which is I thought Paul White looked relatively solid. Uh, he, obviously, he's not 100% at the moment, but I thought he did okay. I didn't and, like the ring gear to be in, in my that was just a personal nitpick. I didn't I didn't like the uh, the kind of wetsuit kind of look. I for me, I have to admit, I wasn't all that bothered about the um, attire. But what I was happy about is that I think that Tony Schiavone has become a beloved member of the AEW world, and I think a lot of people have that connection to him. And to see. Paul White get revenge for his friend Tony Schiavone and Tony's son is the sort of thing that I don't mind five to eight minutes being dedicated to on a pay-per-view just to make just for a feel-good victory. So a breather, yeah, I guess it, it had its place. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't watch it again, but it had its place. Yeah, it's it's definitely probably the weakest of the entire event, and I include the buy-in for that, but. I couldn't say that it didn't do what it was supposed to. And that's the thing. Nobody was going in expecting a 10 minute match classic, but what they did get was a nice little angle um, match where you got a bit of a feel good moment. Paul White got to get a, a moment in the sun again, and he may, he may no longer end up doing anything on television or pay-per-view in terms of in the ring but for that brief moment it was a nice little thing tony got to cheer it on and it gave you a nice little breather before the next match so for me i had no issues with it whatsoever and i kind of enjoyed it yeah um now sammy we saw jim ross earlier in the night called ruby right ruby soho ruby right even though her Second name was said about fifteen times in her entrance music. He also she uh, he also said big show here. Um, did you have any thoughts on the match? And um, did you notice that uh, that big show uh, cock up? I did notice that. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, but then again, it's Jr. You know, he's a everyone loves Jr. <laughs> uh, I thought the match was fine. Um, I don't think it overstayed its welcome. Uh, it was 
Yeah, three, three, minutes, three minutes, ten seconds. So. Yeah, it, it wasn't too long, you know. Um, it was like the, the big show. I'll just say, I'll just do a JR. Uh, he got his spots in, um, and I thought it was fine. And I, yeah, I, I didn't really, you know, I think it was probably the weakest um, point, in, point in the whole show. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was just fine. For what it yeah. was and uh, as big tall paul says no more bs it's time for the main event um kenny omega versus christian cage now before we get on to what happened afterwards because we will definitely be ending the show with that this match was not the match it was on rampage but i enjoyed it for what it was we had kenny falling on his arse which is always funny um for i, I the, the 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 big overriding feeling for me was Wow, Christian Cage, that man was out for seven years, and you'd be you wouldn't blame him for not taking the like the big bumps. He took a he took bad table bumps. He took a he hit a unbelievable spear that was scary, and he took a one winged angel off Brett's rope. So, for I for one, I think Christian Cage really deserves a lot of credit for this match. Sammy, what were your thoughts on this match in comparison to the Rampage match and? I just want to put over the the effort that Christian put in. Oh yeah, he he was great. Um, yeah, that that table spot where part of the table literally just like cut him open. Oh man, it's like like I'm pretty sure not many wrestlers would be able to get up that quickly from that. Um, but yeah, it's just I just thought it was amazing, and it's like you think of you know he has a veteran. And he's not as young as he used to be, but he wasn't missing a beat. Um, yeah, the storytelling this match was great. When Kenny fell in his arse, it was just hilarious because with his character, the way he played it, it totally worked. He was like, I meant to do that. It's, it's fine. <laughs> it's yeah, like, delu- he... You're delusional, fucking Kenny. <laughs> I think he just played that off really well. Um, but yeah. Uh, I just think some of the spots that you took in this match, just they looked brutal. And damn, just thinking of, you know, his age and how long he's been out of the wrestling business, it's like, damn. I mar- yeah. I did, did, did you mark it? I, I didn't watch TNA when he was around, but I'm sure you, as someone who... Did, did, did you watch TNA when Christian Cage debuted? Because I marked out because I've watched it since for his kind of entrance when he had the hood up. I yeah, really I, I remember some of it. It's, it's been so long, it's hard to kind of remember. But he um, hasn't done it since. I just love the way like, the hood was up, because I remember his debut yeah. in TNA. You, you've seen his t- debut in TNA, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. like just having the hood up was just really, really cool, because it just shows that it's a big-time moment. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for echoing the words that I said about Kenny falling on his arse because I got laughed at by my friends calling me an AEW stan when I attempted to say that uh, that Kenny Omega uh, fell on his falling on his arse suit his character after the way he played it off. But you know I'm an AEW stan. I'm proud. Hook it to my veins. Um, but yeah, no, um, Preston. Um, what were your overall? It, it's easy to say what your overall thoughts, but like you're gonna continue on the same vein as. Fucking hell, Christian went all out, and I'm really, pardon the pun, that was completely unintentional. It's like nearly midnight here. Um, but yeah, no, I think Christian Cage deserves a hell of a lot of credit, and Kenny deserves a lot of credit too, but we expect that from Kenny. 
but we didn't expect this Christian to take so much punishment and continue coming. I think for me that when you look back over wrestling and you were to make a list of those who were always underappreciated and people didn't expect them to be that good and yet never let you down and always go in and do a fantastic job. I would be surprised if Christian Cage isn't near the top of that list. Mm -hmm. I have, I have watched him for 21 years and I feel that he is one of the most underrated talents when it comes to telling a story, um, pacing a match and putting both himself and his opponent over. And this was, this was probably his first main event since I imagine probably what 2007 or wherever it was when he was uh, with uh, impact because basically as soon as he went to ECW, he was basically, uh, well, went to ECW, WWE, he was an also ran. He wasn't re never really appreciated. So it's been probably easily 12 to 14 years since he's been in the main event and he went in after seven years out with injury and he did not look out of place at all. I actually feel that he cemented himself as a main event talent for AEW, someone that could easily be put in the main event slot at any point. And I feel that he gave Kenny Omega an excellent match. Um, I know that the Rampage match probably had more energy to it. But I feel that this match really built upon it very well in terms of them having learned from it. Kenny having that nasty aside to him by bringing in the table and that sort of thing. And the fact that he has to go with a huge finish such as the one winged, winged angel off the second rope. That says to me how dangerous a challenger Christian Cage was that... Kenny Omega couldn't even rely upon his usual unbeatable finisher. He had to go for a super finisher. He had to go for the super finisher. Exactly. And I feel that Christian cage came out of that with every credit in the world. Uh, he proved anyone who doubted whether he should be in the main event wrong. And I think Kenny Omega is continuing what is a fantastic title reign as a W world champion. And it is going to get to a point that, Whoever does defeat Omega for the title will be a made main eventer. Hang on, sorry, um, my 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 natural instincts kick in there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I got very scared as Sammy alluded to when the table when the leg of the table kicked up after the spear. I was like, oh fuck, don't don't impale someone. Um, I don't know if this was intentional. I'm assuming it was, but do you remember on Dynamite when Kala said that's a great finisher? I can't wait for Omega to kick out of it. Yeah, out. he said about the kill switch when it was the two of them facing one another and Kala, uh, when uh, Christian revealed that he was going to be challenging for the Impact World Championship. Callus was like, the kill switch. I love that finisher. Kenny can't wait to kick out of it. Yeah, brilliant. I love it. Um, so Kenny wins. And that's how the show ends. <laughs> But no, um, Gallows, Anderson, and a very hurt Young Bucks. Um, we forgot to talk about Nick Jackson's facial hair. It's nice to see that he tried to get heel heat by having his facial hair modelled after Austin Aries, the biggest dick in wrestling. But anyway, Omega grabs a mic and says that absolutely no one is near his level. He says the only people who would ever have a chance to beat him for the AEW aren't here, are, are already retired, and are, are already dead. 
And um, that might just be like a general statement to a lot of people. But if you're a BTE fan and a Mark, you know what's coming because lights go down and everyone thought they knew what was going to happen. And all of a sudden, Adam Cole, baby. I'm glad I have a Yeti so I can kind of go up close <laughs> and not wake up my whole house. But Adam Cole comes out to an amazing theme song. I love his theme song. I thought it was fantastic. He comes out smiling, fantastic. Mr. Chokes, if you're a Twitch fan, comes out, comes down to the ring, absolutely, to an absolutely amazing reaction. But there's a lot of people, I'd say there's a lot of people at home being like, wow, Cassidy Haynes was wrong. It's just Adam Cole. But it's not just Adam Cole. It's Adam Cole fucking baby. He grabs the mic. And sorry, he doesn't grab the mic yet. He looks at the elite and says, do you remember what you did to me? He does the whole Adam Cole baby, which in front of a crowd for the first time in a long time, as is with Minoru Suzuki, was amazing. Super kicks Jungle Boy straight in the face, setting up a match for them down the line, which I really, really loved, and celebrates with the elite. He gets the kiss on each cheek, grabs a mic and says, story time with Adam Cole. He says, there's no chance in hell, which is a little Barb Vince, but you know, he can do what he wants. And he says, the elite, the most dominant factor uh, faction in the history of the business, preceded by Omega saying, did I do that? <laughs> which was, I thought was very, very funny. Um, before we get on to the second part, or do you want me to do the second part first? Or do you want to talk about it in bits? Uh, let's talk about it in bits, I think. Yeah, okay. So Adam Kobebe rejoins the elite. I personally think this is perfect. Because when Omega loses the belt, I think there's a perfect way to turn him babyface. Because as me and Preston discussed in the in our little private messenger chat, where I sent him fee picks, um, that uh, I think uh, Adam Cole, he well he he said it, and I kind of I completely agree. I think Adam Cole and Young Bucks are completely a better trio and a more dickish trio than Omega and Young Bucks. Nothing against Omega. I just think we. Uh, I just think when you when you look at them, when Sam said it, it's an old Renner. They're a lot better as a trio. Mm. I'll let you go first, Sam, because I've, I've put you over. Yes, yes, I love being put over. It always makes me feel so much better. Um, I feel that Cole is one of those that when he comes out, obviously the crowd is instantly going to react and have a great time, but he is always better as the biggest dick in the place. Which, being... is, which is hilarious because he's like the nicest guy in the world. I hate, I hate, I hate to like, I hate to like uh, pull back the curtain, but the man couldn't be like, if you watch him on Twitch, he couldn't be the sweetest guy in the world. <laughs> it's absolutely true. So I think the fact that he's able to do such tremendous work and the, they could have had it that they have Adam Cole come in and they question like, Oh, what's going to happen. But this was a moment that they are dickish enough that they would just go, ha, you guys thought you knew better and betray everyone. And what I love about it is the fact that you think this is the big surprise and you already think, oh my God, the elite are back on top. When you thought that they could be at their weakest, when the Young Bucks have won the tag team titles and Kenny Omega is struggling against Christian, they now have Adam Cole included, who has already got a possible feud set up with uh, Jungle Boy and possibly already ready set to take over if Kenny Omega turns face, but what is even more interesting is that a couple of days after this event, Kevin Owens tweeted mm -hmm. the location for Mount Rushmore, which is a very famous stable that occurred in pro wrestling gorilla. If I remember correctly, which was the young bucks, Adam Cole and Kevin Steen. 
And um, WWE, I'm sure Vince is looking at the sky, uh, screaming Canyon Seaman, because before the pandemic, contracts were shortened. And guess when, Alec, guess when Kevin Owens' contract runs out? January 2022. So my pick, so before we go into Sammy, sorry for, I think Adam Cole turns on Omega at Revolution after Omega loses the rematch to Hangman Adam Page and Kevin Steen's music hits. But you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm just, I love Kevin Owens. And fucking hell. Jesus Christ, I'm American now. But Sammy, me, uh, I'd love to do, we'll talk about that and when, when it comes to our close to the time. But Sammy, Adam called Bay Bay is here. How do you feel? I thought it was great. Um, just being in a, a bar with so many people, especially oh, when you hear all the... Yeah, that was kind of like the one reason that I wanted to go to the screening was because like having all the rumors of these surprises I needed to be amongst like wrestling fans to experience this. Um, it was great, um, especially with all the yes chants. So everyone thought someone else was going to come out and then Adam Cole comes out. Everyone's just like their jaws drop and they're like, oh my God, what? And it was just so like, it was so awesome. And then seeing him obviously turn heel uh, and join the elite, that was pretty cool as well uh, to just kind of, especially if you know their history and things like that. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a really cool moment. And obviously on being the elite, they revived him, which was quite funny with Gallows saying, I haven't catched the kids in ages. What the fuck are you doing, Kenny? When they're at, it's like kind of like resurrection sermon ceremony. Um, go and check it out. It's just anything. Gallows and Anderson may be kind of dead weight on TV, in my opinion, but on being the elite, they're golden. Um, Anderson doing sour boy is hilarious. Uh, it, may, it makes my ribs hurt laughing at it. But, but yeah, the show ended there. Um, but anyway, Omega grabs the mic and does the whole kind of Steve Ur- like Ur- is it Steve Urkel? Someone correct me if I'm wrong. It's very late. Like, yeah, is Steve that- Echo. Yeah. Um, did did it? Did I do that? I'm not going to do the accent again. Um, but uh, he said the only thing to said for me to do is send that crowd home happy. Uh, on unha- um, actually, before that, I thought it was a very very poignant moment and something that we'll probably see in pre match promos for in a couple of months is when Adam Cole was kissing, uh, getting his kiss from the Young Bucks, Omega was just in the foreground. Like, it almost, like, there's just a hint of Omega being pushed into the, in, sorry, in the background. Omega was just being pushed into the background. Mm. So I can definitely see that being used in, like, a countdown to Full Gear Revolution or whenever it happens. Um, very, very poignant moment there for me. Kind of a little Easter egg where Omega um, thinks he has it all figured out, but maybe he's, He's met his own, he's kind of brought his own demise back into the fold. Um, but anyway, Omega gets on the mic and says, send the credit and happy goodbye, more and then flight of the Valkyries hits. Obviously, apparently they wanted fifty grand for uh, final countdown, but um so Flight of the Valkyries hits and it turns into a trap remix, which a lot of people were instantly like, Okay, I'm gonna actually easy way to do this. What was your initial reaction when the rap started? Obviously, we've cert- we've since lit- learned that it's that it says I'm going to kick your fucking head in, um, which I think is pretty cool. But Samuel, go to you first. What are your thoughts on the team? Dan- Brian Danielson is an AW. Holy shit! But what did you think of the team? I 
I liked it. I think it's got the perfect blend of the recognizable Flight of the Valkyries, which gives it that classic wrestle style. Then he's always been relatively clean when he's been in WWE. When he when he was outside of WWE, he always used to have a much nastier, violent element to him. And he would be the type that would literally kick your fucking face in. So this shows an evolution in his character that he's now going to have a much more rated R style to him to some degree. I mean, like his promo afterwards included several swear words, which probably shot people, but that is actually going to be a surprising element of his character. And I like that little change. I think it shows the proper development and difference with him for people to get used to. Yeah. And Sammy, did you like the theme? Yeah, I thought it was quite good. I think it, it works. Um, because I feel like if they just did Flight of the Valkyries again, you know, everyone will think they're just getting WWE version again. So, yeah, I think it's good that uh, they've got a bit of, uh, you know, change and they're making it a bit different and more upbeat. Yeah, um, I, did, I did enjoy the kind of, I'm going to kick your head and it's really, really cool. But yeah, Brian Danielson is all elite. They lay in the boots. Uh, the elite run to the back. Uh, sorry, run up to the ramp. But Nick Jackson gets caught. Um, running knee, lays in the boots. And Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus standing tall at the end of a paper was pretty cool. Alongside Christian Cage and Daniel Bryan. That's how you elevate stars. Fantastic end to the pay-per-view. And I think the best way to just close this out is just give you this quote from Daniel Bryan, the media scrum. Um, which I will get now. He's not worried about ratings. His focus, he said, my focus is on creating excellent professional wrestling because one thing I truly believe is you show excellent rest professional wrestling to anyone and they will enjoy it because excellent professional wrestling is fucking awesome. Goosebumps. Holy shit, we're in for a wild ride. The anticipation is so fucking high. This... Right, I, I want to. All right, I'm going to go around putting on the spot. I want one, one dream pun. I can name about ten. I want to see him fight Daniel Garcia for one. But we'll go around and say one dream, one feud we want to see. I, but to tie in this final segment before I go around for that, I think there's a built-in story with Cole and Brian. Obviously, they had that match on that Saudi-affected episode of SmackDown. But Adam Cole's been upstage. People are like, why did they do too much? Why did they blow their load? Obviously, the, the AW haters are like, why did they do that? Like, debut in the mall. That's just a bit stupid. But there's a built-in story there. Adam Cole can come out and say, Daniel Bryan upstage me. They're both meant to speak on AW tonight. And I wouldn't be surprised if they got into it together. And I wouldn't complain. Because they could genuinely do Adam Cole versus Bryan Danielson on AW TV. And that's scary. Um, but, guys, uh, first of all, you're kind of final thoughts on the moment and the pay-per-view in general if you want and then one dream pun for Brian Danielson and Adam Cole I'll go to Sammy first um I really really enjoyed the pay-per-view I think it's like the first time I can remember being so excited uh about future wrestling it's like the first time I can actually remember being excited to be a wrestling fan it's just been so long since I've had that kind of excitement about it. Uh, so dream dream matches, let's see. Um, for Daniel Bryan, I would really like him to see him go up against Jungle Boy. 
because I think that would be quite good. Uh, For Adam Cole, I'm interested to see him going up against Hangman. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I really like that, and I think when he wins the belt on a Hoan, if the story that I I, I laid out earlier, kind of Adam Cole taking over the elite and now maybe again pushed out, like I think was it you Preston who said like um or I I heard it somewhere like Omega kind of trying to go back to Hangman and say trying to like mend his relationship while Hangman's in the feud with Adam Cole, you could have that kind of overarching storyline. Uh, not for me, but I do. I do kind of get whoever it was who was suggesting that was leaning towards, and that could be an interesting inclusion. It could be a very long-term story as well, which is always fantastic with AEW. They always make it worthwhile. So I'd be curious to see how they would play that. You're, uh, but you're, uh, and I'm going to go to you for your kind of final overarching thoughts. And uh, your two dream opponents, I'm sure you have a laundry list, as always. <laughs> so um, I have to admit that this was probably my favorite pay-per-view in a very long time. This was a pay-per-view where I, it, it's, al- it's almost impossible for me to actually say I would have anything changed because I feel that what they did worked so perfectly with the pacing, the anticipation, even the inclusion of Paul White and uh, QT Marshall, even though it's not essential to the card, I do feel that it does flow quite well with the overall story. So um, this is probably one of those pay-per-views that I would not change a single thing and I would recommend to anyone who wanted to get back into wrestling. For me, in regards to Adam Cole, um, I think uh, people that I'd be interested in seeing him wrestle would probably be um, Pac, I think (laughs) would be fascinating. Uh, I have to admit also, I would love to see his cockiness up against Orange Cassidy's much more laid-back, smooth style, which I think could be a really interesting blend of it. Um, And also, John Moxley. I would love to see Adam Cole versus John Moxley and see how those two would do. Now, in regards to Brian Danielson, I might surprise you both and say that the dream matches I would love to see actually wouldn't be with AEW because these are... These are matches he can actually do. The reason why he's supposedly came to AEW is because he wants to wrestle in Japan. And Mexico, I think. I think his line in the press conference was, we can't do it due to COVID now, but I want to go to Mexico and I want to go to Japan. Yeah. So for me, three matches I would love to see with him would be um, Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> Fucking hell, yes. Um, Daniel Bryan's chest can get cut up. It, it is, it, his chest would just capitulate. He would end up looking like Kofi Kingston, where it just flattens. Um, I would love to see him against um, Hiroshi Tana, Tanahashi. Mm. And, of course, it's a very obvious choice, but I would love to see Brian Danielson versus Kasuchika Okada. I'd throw Ishii in there as well. I um, was going to throw Ishii in if I could have a fourth choice. I had to yeah, make because I think yeah, they'd be perfect can, yeah. together. 
Yeah. And and uh, can we just, like, uh, overall prediction for Brian, bring back the cotton mutilation? They asked him about moves he's going to bring back, and he was kind of like, <laughs> wait till you see. Oh, man, I can't wait till he breaks that out. Oh, I fucking missed the cattle mutilation. Yeah. Uh, what, I would love to see him do the cattle mutilation. On Ishii. On, <laughs> on, uh, I was going to say on Darby Allen. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, you could flex, you could bend him in a, in half like a pretzel. Yeah. But, um, yeah, my dream opponent for Adam Cole, I like the Hangman show. Um, I think him and Omega is a built-in storyline. But um, him versus someone like Sammy Guevara... I think mm. would 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 be fucking amazing, but my big one, my big big one. Do you remember that cage they put Wardlow and Jake Hager in, and people didn't really feel like it kind of hit. Mm. Brian Danielson versus Malachi Black. Oh fuck yes! I mean, even if they just did a kicks only match, where you just like just them in like an M like. You talk about you. You guys talk about not wanting to blend MMA and wrestling. This is where I feel like it works, because you have two guys who are come from those backgrounds, and they would just light each other up. The kicks, the chops, the submissions, and it's kind of the good versus evil. But it's not the co- Malachi Black needs to beat Cody Rhodes when he comes back, because apparently he's back within the month. A report is coming out. And I really, really hope that this really good AW bubble isn't burst by Malachi Black getting squashed by Cody Rhodes. But give me, because we're not having all the people who are casuals who are like, Hangman is getting ruined and he should go. I heard people saying WWE by the end of the year. Fuck that. Just go away with all that. Um, Adam Cole and Brian Danielson do not need to be in the title picture. Give me Brian Danielson versus Malachi Black in a series of matches ending with them being put in that cage. Oh, oh man like dynamite okay can, and that's this is how we're gonna end tonight we have adam cole speaking with the elite we have brian danielson speaking we have cm punk speaking and we have suzuki versus john moxley we have um uh, ruby soho fighting jamie hater and we have a powerhouse hobbs versus dante martin and we also have, I believe it's Dustin Rhodes versus oh. Malachi Black. And that starts in about 50 minutes. So it's just enough time for me to get showered, grab a beer and enjoy myself. I'm sure I have no work tomorrow, so I'm very much enjoying that. But my God, just even it's so nice. I really, really want to talk to you guys about AEW soon enough again. I think we're going to need to with the way this is going. But um, holy shit. We are in for an absolute ride of a lifetime in the next few months and next few years. I think those ratings are going to get very, very close. If not, I think Raw might be under threat. Um, but yeah, this is insane. Um, it's it's ten past midnight now. I think we're going to wrap it up. But holy shit, AEW is. I'd love to break out into an AEW champ now, right now, but we can't. Um, let's see what's going forward with Daniel Bryan, Adam Cole. The Hangman page stuff is going to come back. We have so much going on. But yeah, it's time to wrap it up. Um, I'm going to let you guys plug away what you have. Sammy, uh, please tell everyone what you have going on and Rogue Opinions and elsewhere. Uh, yeah, I've been a guest on the uh, Podding is Hard. Uh, and um, yeah, we just done the season finale of Loki. So that was quite interesting to talk about. Uh, and I'm also doing a 
podcast with Nathan about heists that have happened throughout the throughout the years that are quite unknown to people. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, I like that because I'm a, I'm a big kind of crime uh, crime fan. So maybe that that heist thing might be right up my alley. And uh, Mr. Preston, my my beautiful butler, plug away what you have because I know you have a lot. Yes, thank you, sir. Um, on Coached Vultures currently, I've had a couple of articles which are focused for not only uh, upcoming challengers for Samoa Joe to face with his NXT Championship, but also 10 possible new opponents that Brock Lesnar could face since he's returned to the WWE. I've also done an article on Pete Dunne that hopefully should be published soon. Um, I currently have it that on WrestleJoy. I have a couple of articles currently in drafts, which are continuing Shinsuke Nakamura's reign as IWGP IC champion, and also a piece on an all-elite network, please, because I totally want to be able to just play as many times as I want all out without having to pay extra for it and that sort of thing. Um, I also have a couple of podcasts coming up, which will be focusing on the SmackDown retro review with Scott and also a new challenge, which is that I am going to rebook the entirety of the universal championship lineage. Try and see if I can make it much more prestigious than I feel it currently is at the moment. Do you mean you're going to get rid of the jam belt? Oh, sad. No, uh, I, I, I might go lemon curd belt. Or blueberry jam like it is right now. Um, but uh, no. Um, as for me, you can find me on here with some... I'm, I'm, I'm spread out in like a few different podcasts sprinkle i'm sprinkled all over the rogue opinions this is my first host one so hopefully i did well if my voice been getting lower it's because i'm in a house with seven people and i might get a backhand mid mid call which would be good for the uh, for the for the entertainment but not for me um but yeah you can also find me on hallway graphs pod myself and kieran i have a back catalog of interviews with the likes of uh carrie silken the original owner of ring of honor um uh, mark haskins um to name but a few a few wrestling journalists on there um there's plenty on there there's a, a lot of interviews uh, you can also find some of my interviews on um on ringsiders pod or another very very good interview uh youtube channel uh one of my bet favorite ones which i'd recommend you go and listen to is our interview with the awakening also known as the ascension where Khan tells a story about how does how he wrote uh, his name as mike hunt on a promo page and Dusty Rhodes wanted to kill him. Um, it is a hilarious story that had me in stitches, so I, I suggest you go and watch that. Um, and uh, yeah, and we're hopefully, uh, I'm, I have a college schedule out now, so I can nail down when I re- can record stuff. So once I have ideas, I'll be back on the horse. It's just been a bit of a mad summer. But yeah, Holograss Pod on Twitter, and then obviously you'll find all the links there. So thank you very much. And um, Sam, how does how does Scott end these podcasts? Is there is there a catchphrase, or are we just saying goodbye? Enjoy, uh, goodbye, 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 goodbye. Jeez, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he usually finishes it with great difficulty, uh, like you are. So <laughs> yeah, but um, I enjoy dynamite. Enjoy the ride, honestly, because it's going to be a wild one. Um, 
I cannot wait to see what AEW has going forward. And I hopefully you guys are along with us. And hopefully we can record a lot more regularly. I'm sure everyone would love to about Dynamite because it makes us so happy. I have a smile on my face right now, um, believe it or not. But yeah, goodbye, good night, bang, bay bay, American Dragon, blah, blah, blah. Shaga